Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for First Baptist Church Keller TX in the iTunes Store or in the podcast app on your mobile device. And now here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. My Bible's open to the 122nd Psalm, Psalm 122, our text this morning, Going Up to Meet the Lord. And this morning begins a new series from the Old Testament book of Psalm. The Psalms is the song book of the Bible. As you know, there are 150 Psalms in this book. This particular section we're in today, collectively called the Psalms of Ascent. And I want us to study them together over the next few months. There are 15 Psalms of Ascent, beginning in Psalm 120, concluding in Psalm 134. They're called Psalms of Ascent or Psalms of Degree, because we believe that they were sung by Jewish pilgrims as they made their way up three times a year to the holy city of Jerusalem to celebrate religious festivals and to worship God. Now you know that Jerusalem, the holy city, was built upon a hill. And from whichever direction you approached it, north, south, east, or west, you went up. You ascended to the holy city. Our text this morning, Psalm 122, is nine verses long. Its words will be familiar to many of you. And it's one of three of the 15 Psalms of Ascent that was written by King David. The Bible says of David that he was a man after God's own heart. And if you've studied David's life in some detail, you likely have been puzzled how a man who was such a profound sinner could be given such a lofty designation. But I suspect is the answer that David was a man who was truly grateful for the forgiveness and the grace of God. Psalm 103.10 says, He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Aren't you glad of that? He's not given us what we deserve. In fact, uh, that's the definition of mercy. It's God not giving us what we deserve. The definition of grace is giving us something good we have not deserved, and that is salvation. People that understand those twin principles of grace and mercy tend to be great worshipers of God, I've found. David was a great worshiper of God. He had zeal not only for his individual worship, but was consumed by a desire that everyone he knew glorified and worshiped his God. You remember that God had put in David's heart a desire to bring up the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle to the capital city of Jerusalem. The Ark had been taken after a battle had been lost to the Philistines and it eventually was returned, but it never had found a resting place. And so David desired to build a temple for the Lord there in Jerusalem. He was prevented from doing so because God said he was a bloody man. His son Solomon, however, was given that great privilege. And from that point forward for many years, people would go up to Jerusalem to worship. And as we read, as we read rather Psalm 122, listen for the heart of David, for God's presence, his concern for God's people and the longing that he had for God's peace. Let's read Psalm 122. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing within your gates, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem that is built as a city that is compact together, to which the tribes go up, even the tribes of the Lord, an ordinance for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. 
For there thrones were set for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. May peace be within your walls and prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brothers and my friends, I will now say, may peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. And Lord add his blessing, the reading of his word. Now under the old covenant, and David was, and his people were under God's old covenant, God said that he would meet the people between the wings of the cherubim, the angels that were crafted to face one another on the mercy seat, which was the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. But there he would meet them only once a year on the Day of Atonement, and then he would only meet with one person, a representative of the country, the high priest, and only in a specified room, a place called the Holy of Holies. And the people looked forward with great anticipation to that day, and they traveled up to the holy city, and as they traveled, we believe they sang this song in anticipation of worship. They did so because they desired the Lord's presence. A desire for God's presence is the first thing that we note here in David's song. He said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. David took great joy in worshiping God. I think that is at least partially what it means that he was after God's heart. He just wanted to be with the Lord all the time because there was nothing he valued more than being in the presence of God. Legan Duncan was for many years the pastor of the First Presbyterian Church of Jackson, Mississippi. And Dr. Duncan defines worship like this. He says, it is to worship God, to declare with our lips and with our lives, with our desires and with our choices that God is our greatest treasure. Let me say it again. To worship God is to declare with our lips and our lives, with our desires and our choices that God is our greatest treasure. If we value God above everything else, we will worship. And when we worship, we ascribe to God the worth, the glory, the honor that he's due. David loved to do that. All you have to do is to read many of his songs that he wrote here in the Bible, and you'll know that he treasured God. He was glad, in other words, when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord to worship. Now that sounds like temple language, and we know that David died before the completion of the temple. But in his heart and as a prophet, I believe he saw that God's people would meet him in the holy city of Jerusalem, and that made his heart leap with joy. The second thing we see about David is that he had a concern for God's people. His joy was not just for himself. He had a concern that God be glorified by all the people of the nation. That's why he used plural personal pronouns when he describes the worship of God. He says, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing within the gates of Jerusalem. He had a genuine desire for God's presence for himself, but also a concern for all of God's people to meet with him. Now David, led by God's spirit, designed a place, a city, where God's people could come to meet with him. A place where the thankfulness that they felt for God's provision could be expressed and where just judgments could be rendered. See, it was in David's reign that the worship of God and the people of God and their government was brought together in one place, the city of Jerusalem. And so he says of Jerusalem, within your gates, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem that is built as a city that is compact together, to which the tribes go up. That's the 12 tribes of Israel, even the tribes of the Lord, an ordinance which really means a testimony. It, that is every time that they come up to Jerusalem is a testimony of their gratefulness for the great things that God has done. But not only the great things that God has done, 
but simply because of who he is, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Now we said last Sunday that when someone does something in the name of God, it represents who he is and all of his attributes and all the authority that comes with him. To do something in his name means in the authority. And so when he says that we give thanks to the name of the Lord, we're giving thanks to God, not just for the great things he's done, but for the great God that he is, that he is merciful and benevolent and omnipotent and omniscient. And he's God of grace and forgiveness and people overflow with their thankfulness for him. And then he is determined that when they come up for judgments, he will do what is right. For there, that is in Jerusalem, thrones were set for judgment. The thrones of the house of David. That is, he set up his government in that city because he's concerned for God's worship from his people and he's concerned for justice for God's people. There's a third thing we see about David here in Psalm 122 is that he's, he has a longing for God's peace. Look what he says in verse 6. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Now that's a good prayer to pray. And um, depending on your particular eschatological point of view, um, you might have a bumper sticker like this on your car. I've seen those around. And it's good and right to pray for the peace of, of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. May peace be within your walls and prosperity within your palaces for the sake of my brothers and my friends. I will now say, may peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Isn't it interesting that even though David was a man of war, and he was a bloody man. Remember the women used to sing songs about David. Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. But even though he was a man of war, he longed for and prayed that Jerusalem would be a place of peace, that they would experience peace for two reasons, he says. One, for the good of his fellow Jews. He knew that their enemies were seeking to destroy them. And friends, that's not changed much. Did you see the news this morning? That even in our own beloved United States, yet another attack on a Jewish synagogue this week. God's people have been under attack for as long as they've been called God's people. And David understand that, understood that, and so he prays for peace and security and safety of Jerusalem, but also for the sake of the house of the Lord our God. And the reason that God's people have been attacked is because we know ultimately Satan's behind that, right? Every time you hear about a synagogue shooting, every time you hear about a church shooting, rest assured that Satan is gleeful about that. Just this week, I had a chance to meet with a very faithful pastor in our state from down around San Antonio. And just a little over a year ago, a gunman surrounded that building with gunfire and 26 of his members, about a third of his congregation were killed early one Sunday morning. And when he was asked about that, this is what he said this week. He said, well, it was a terrible thing. His own daughter, 16 years old, was killed in that shooting. He said, but we were serving the Lord before that shooting happened and we're serving the Lord today. May the Lord honor and bless that kind of commitment to him. And so pray for the peace, not only of Jerusalem, but for all of God's people. Now, obviously this Psalm was written during the old covenant period. 
God had prescribed a way in which he would deal with his people. Remember how he said he would do it? He said he would do it through the mediation of a priestly tribe, the tribe of Levi. And the only people that were qualified to be priests were those who could trace their genealogy to the tribe of Levi. And then they mediated a sacrificial system. Remember, God prescribed the kind of animals that had to be slaughtered. But we know that the scripture says that uh, God was not pleased with the blood of goats and bulls. All of those sacrifices were shadows of the once for all sacrifice to the Lord Jesus who would come later. This old covenant was inaugurated and ratified through the blood of animals, but the new covenant in which we live is mediated by Christ. It is inaugurated and ratified by the Savior's blood shed on the cross. And aren't you glad that we no longer have to approach God through a priest or through sacrifices? Because Hebrews says that Christ is our great high priest. He is our perfect once for all sacrifice. The veil has been torn apart that separated God's people from himself. We are invited to come with boldness into his presence and make our needs known. And praise God for these great truths. But with that said, there is much that those of us living on this side of the cross can learn about worshiping from an Old Testament saint like David. Let me just give you a few of those things I think we can learn. Number one is we too should desire to enter into God's presence to worship. We should worship as David did with joy, with enthusiasm, and with anticipation. But friends, if we're going to enter into God's presence to worship, we need to make preparation to worship. You wouldn't imagine coming into the presence of a political dignitary or your favorite sports hero if you had planned a meeting with them and rolling out of bed, showing up and saying, wow me. But I fear many times that's how we come to church. Let me ask you a question. What did you do to prepare for worship today? Not just this morning, but, but all week long. Were you prayerful? Were you confessing sin? Were you praying for those who would lead today? Were you anticipating meeting with God or, or did the alarm clock ring? You hit snooze a couple of times, you jumped out of bed, jumped in the shower, raced to church breathlessly and plopped down and say, here I am. We ought to prepare to worship the Lord. He's worthy of our best because if worship if Dr. Duncan is right that worship is declaring that God is our greatest treasure, then we must aim to live lives that reflect that He is first place. Now, because we have the Spirit of the living God within us, it is true that we don't have to travel to a certain city or wear certain clothes or go into certain rooms to worship. That is true. In fact, some of my most memorable and joyful times of worship as a believer that I can remember have been not in a building such as this, but out in nature where I can express praise to God for his creative genius and power. But that truth that we don't have to have a prescribed place to worship has led some folks to declare that they don't even need other believers to worship. Specifically, I've heard people say they don't need to be part of a local church to be a Christian. But the problem with that sentiment is that God has prescribed in his word that we worship not only individually, but with other believers. Remember the plural pronouns that David used. They, us, our. These are pronouns of community. 
And just as God prescribed in the Old Covenant how he was to be worshiped corporately, God prescribes to the people of Israel in the Old Covenant, but he also prescribed to those of us in the New Covenant how we're to worship corporately. You remember that the book of Hebrews tells us that all those Old Testament festivals and prescriptions were but shadows of the reality that would come later. The sacrifices made by the priest had no power to save, but pointed to the true and living Savior to come. They pointed to Jesus. Scripture says, for all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. So in the New Testament, God has given us a prescription for corporate worship. And thankfully, it doesn't involve the slaughter of animals or the wearing of sacerdotal garments. But this is what he says, 1 Timothy 4.13. He says, give attention to the public reading of Scripture. So when we come together and we call it corporate worship, if we don't read the Scripture, we're not doing as the Lord prescribed. And uh, thankfully... We regularly do that here. Colossians 3.16, not only are we read scripture together, we are to sing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. That is, we are to encourage one another and remind one another and teach one another as we praise the Lord. 1 Timothy 2.1 says we're to pray for kings and governors and those in authority. 2 Timothy 4.2, one of my favorite verses says, preach the word. That is what is to happen when we come together We are to preach the word to one another. That is, proclaim the message. Those are are just four of the prescriptions that that God gives. I'm a little concerned, to put it mildly, for the trajectory of the evangelical church writ large. Because it seems that we've adopted an attitude and a disposition is that worship is whatever we say it is. And yet, God says, here's how I am to be worship. And as we come together for worship, we all do so as David did with enthusiasm and joy and anticipation, but doing it his way. But we also, as David had, we must have a concern for God's people. One of the things, in fact, that ought to be first of our mind as we enter these doors to worship here is how can I serve other people here today? That is, worship is not for my own convenience or for my own preferences. Even in worship, we can put the needs of others before our own as we're instructed to do. You know, one of the ways that you can serve other people is just by being here. I call that the ministry of presence. If you were here last week and this place was filled to overflowing, even the gymnasium was packed in the 930 service. Did that bring joy to your heart? to see so many people in our community worshiping the Lord. You minister to me by your presence and you minister to every other saint by your presence. That's why the Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some yes. And then when you're here and even before you get here, pray for peace and unity in our Jerusalem, the church. And it doesn't preclude you praying literally for the peace of Jerusalem, but the truth is this, there will not be true peace on this earth, the Bible says, until Christ returns and sets up his kingdom. But the Bible says he's going to set up his kingdom in Jerusalem. So it's right and appropriate to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And when I pray for the peace of Jerusalem, what I'm primarily praying is this, for the salvation of Jewish folks 
and Gentile folks alike and the consummation of God's eternal plan of redemption. We've been studying the last few months about God's kingdom. And we've said several times that there's an already and a not yet component to God's kingdom. The kingdom of God, we believe, was inaugurated at Christ's incarnation. But it has not yet been consummated. That has not reached its full zenith. And it will not be till he reigns as king of kings and lord of lords. Until every knee of heaven and earth and under the earth bows to the lordship of Jesus Christ. But one day that's coming. But let's be very specific. Let's talk now about First Baptist Church of Keller. How this psalm applies to us. We are 16 weeks today away from Unify Sunday, August 18th, which is the Sunday that we've designated to come back together into two worship services instead of three. And some of you have asked, and maybe you're asking, what can I do to help? Well, some of you have already done something to help. You filled out your uh, card that said, which service do you plan to attend, the 8.30 or 11? And I will tell you, um, my sanctification is not yet complete. My faith is not yet perfect. And so in my flesh, I said, I suspect about 90% of people are going to mark 11. And they're going to sleep a little later. But you know, to my surprise, it was just the opposite. Not quite the opposite. We had about 55% said they're coming to 830. And 45% say they're coming to 11. The distribution of families with children was identical. 50-50. And that really is what this is all about. As, as we've seen in our 8 o'clock and 11, most of the young families have come to the 930 because of our schedule. And we want to see the church be what it is. Multi-generational. From birth to the oldest senior adults. And if you will do what you said you're going to do on your card, that's exactly <laughs> what's going to happen. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And when that happens, 16 weeks from now, that's going to necessitate that some of you will be in an overflow room. And don't imagine solitary confinement. It's not like that at all. Uh, we're doing a lot of work upstairs in the youth area, and it's going to be very comfortable. You're going to have a good view of the screen, and it's good sound up there. And we're not asking you to do that every Sunday. By the way, we're not asking our guests to do that either. We're going to ask Sunday school departments on a six week rotational schedule. So once every six weeks, if you're in a Sunday school department, uh, likely you're gonna be asked to, to worship in that overflow room. And when you do, here's the third thing you can do, do so with joy. David says, I was glad when they said, let's go into the house of the Lord, even if he had to sit in the overflow room. <laughs> Does it make you happy? when you see God's people come together. Fills my heart with joy. And then here's how you can pray. You can pray for unity and peace. If there's one reputation that our church has, at least in the last 20 years, it's one of unity and peace. So grateful. I tell this all the time, and it's absolutely the truth. Of course, it can change tomorrow. That's why we have to be diligent to pray for unity and peace. I've been a member of this church 18 years, and I've probably attended 99% of the business meetings here. 
And in 18 years, I've never once heard a harsh word spoken. Not once. And that is the result of the prayers of God's people for unity and peace. And it is my prayer, probably above every prayer I pray here, is for the continued unity and peace of this congregation. But you know, anytime you change things, there's a possibility for disunity and friction. And so that's why we must uh, redouble our efforts as we're about to make a major change in the church that, uh, that the Satan would not have a, a foothold here and that you commit to not be the source of that friction. Let us go up to the house of the Lord with joy, praying for unity all along the way. And here's a great way to make sure you're not the source of disunity. When you park your car, or even before, on your way to church, be praying this way, Lord, show me a way that I can serve someone else today. How can I put their need first? That may be as simple as where you park your car. It may be as, as simple as waiting patiently while someone is sitting in your pew. It's a great opportunity to explore other parts of the church that you haven't seen in a while. But, but the truth is, and I, I know change is scary. None of us like change. But sometimes change is exactly what we need. But the truth is, fundamentally, we're not doing anything differently than we've ever done before. Here, here's what I pledge to you is going to happen on August the 18th. We're going to come into this room. The only thing that's going to be different, we're going to be a little closer together. We're going to read the word. We're going to pray the word. We're going to sing the word. We're going to preach the word. And then with God's help, we're going to leave these doors and go out and do the word. Because that's really why we're here, right? We are here to be instructed and trained and inspired to go out into the lost and dying world and do the work of the church. Let's pray that the Lord would help us do that. We, Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this word. Thank you for David who loved to worship. He was not perfect and I suspect none in this room are, but he was after your heart. He wanted more than anything to spend time with you. And Father, that's really what worship is. It's the evidence outwardly that we treasure you above all things. We treasure you above our houses, our toys, our sports and entertainment, even our families. Lord, we treasure you above all. And Father, if that's true, then we're going to make preparations to meet with you. We're gonna give you our best and not what is left over. Father, we're going to do that with joy. And we're not only going to be concerned of our own worship individually, we're going to be desirous that every one of your people worships that way. And Father, may we say every time we get together, it's been good to be in the house of the Lord. And when people say it's that time, the time to worship, may we be glad when they say unto us, let us go up to worship. May you be glorified even through this change that's coming. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. 
To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.